if you're putting 20% down, they want the total 100% of the gross rents. And these gross rents are determined by the appraiser if the property is not rented out. They want 100% of the gross rents to cover the principal interest taxes and insurance uh, monthly payment. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hello, and welcome back to the Get Real podcast. This is Heather Marchant with my host here, Ron Phillips. We're here. How are you doing today, Ron? I am fantastic today. Just got off a plane like a few hours ago. I know. And here I am. (laughs) In spite of the travel, here I am. Yeah. At least we're not doing this in like some kind of a park somewhere. So it could be. That's kind of what happens to me more than you. So I know. I know. <laughs> I know. You take notice. So I'm super excited actually, because we have had the same theme of questions for quite some time and was able to connect with one of our great lenders we work with, Richard Adbani. He's with Supreme Lending, and he is able to talk a little more freely without being with a big bank he used to be with. So that way we can kind of get down to the nitty gritty of lending today. We keep it real in here. So we don't have to sugarcoat anything, which is kind of nice <laughs> or try to be politically correct or whatever. And so I'm super excited to have you, Richard. Thank you for joining our show today. Happy to be here. I'm just going to share a little bit about you. I got a great bio on you. So Richard is a lender and real estate investor based out of Southern California. He has been in the mortgage business for over 15 years and has closed thousands of investor loan transactions. Richard also has 20 rental properties across the country and specializes in working with real estate investors. So I loved that you are involved in the industry and also drink the Kool-Aid, as I say, (laughs) and actually own rental property. So it speaks to your knowledge of it, but also that you understand the benefits of it really well, which is awesome. So I'm glad that you were willing to work with us. Yeah. And that creates a couple of things. Not only is it obviously creates a good client experience on the front end, but also helps take things through underwriting. Once the team and the background and everyone behind has a broad knowledge of how investors work and what our goals are, it translates to their process for everyone involved. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's been really helpful. I know clients, when they first initially talk to you, the knowledge base, super helpful and being able to understand how it all works. Because we've worked with several lenders over the years I call them almost like a lender in training that we're educating them on how rental and investment properties work as far as even the lending process. There's several lenders I've had to explain about how to add rental income and things like that. So it's really, really cool. So we've had a steady stream of questions that I just kind of wanted to cover and chat about today. So the first being a COVID update. So COVID's impacted lending. I mean, I know the loan I just did, I definitely had to supply more information than I ever have. So can you talk a little bit about that and what you've seen on the front lines? Absolutely. So there were quite a few changes that occurred with COVID. And the good news, I feel like we're kind of on the tail end of coming out of those. 
we think, right? Until the next variant. So, <laughs> but basically a couple things have changed. So for self-employed people, it did get a little more difficult and commission people because they wanted to make sure that there was no impact to your business through COVID or if there was an impact that it's kind of behind you now and you've since recouped. And what that means for someone is providing bank statements and providing profit and loss statements yeah. down to the last month you're closing. Yeah. Whereas before, yes. I mean, you could provide a profit and loss statement from three months ago and it would still be a good gauge for us as a lender of how mm -hmm. your business is doing. And the other thing that can get pretty cumbersome for investors who have a lot of properties is we're required right now to ensure that none of your properties are in forbearance. And what that means is if you're in a 45-day loan process and you have 15 properties already, we're going to need up-to-date mortgage statements for the last three months and as they come out to be able to prove to mm -hmm. Fannie and Freddie that you're not in forbearance or any type of COVID repayment program. But Broad level, in terms of guidelines themselves, there haven't been any real big changes have stuck. The biggest mm -hmm. thing is it has become a little more documentation intensive as it relates to proving you're on time and proving if you're self-employed or commissioned that your business is still doing pretty well. Yeah. yeah. That's a royal pain in the butt, guys. <laughs> as those of you who haven't been through this before, that's one of the main, like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean- we're going through a file and people call up and they're just like, this is ridiculous. I can't <laughs> yes. Like people are offended, right? That they're yeah. getting asked for this stuff. And I'm like, man, you should apply for an apartment complex loan. And then you want to see what I, it's almost like you're going to the proctologist. It's ridiculous <laughs> what goes on in those loans. In addition, they ask you for all, I mean, we put well over six figures in an account called COVID. It's just sitting there. I email the bank once a quarter. Hey, can we get our money back? No. Okay. okay we'll just, <laughs> you can have it then. We'll just, you know, just let it sit there a little bit longer. It's insane. Yeah, that's so true. And I can speak personally to the, I mean, as my income is mostly commission and I have my own business. Oh my goodness. Every time the balance sheets and profit and loss year to date mm -hmm. and from the previous year. And then right before closing, they need it updated and signed. And I mean, stuff I've just haven't had to do before. It's crazy. So yeah, it definitely is. And most people are used to engaging their tax person once a year, twice a year. Yeah. So in this last year, you've got to call them as you're buying rentals saying, Hey, I need a profit and loss for the last three months, for the last four months. So it does uh, create another layer of complexity, but our general expectation is in the next two or three months, they're going to lighten that a little. Typically, for example, if it's March of 2022, they're only going to ask for the prior year tax returns. They're not going to ask for a P&L for those couple months. Nice. Um, and we're expecting it to get back to that. That way it's not as exhausting for you and obviously your accountants. Yeah. That's good news. I think that's awesome. And I failed to mention how we met you and how this is how we meet usually all of our good people that we work with in general, not just in lending, but referrals. So I was actually referred to you by several of our sellers, which I found to be really interesting and very telling about how you do business. That it's been the course of, I mean, I think 2018, maybe the end of 2018, I was introduced to you by our Florida seller builder. 
And then a, a supplier in Oklahoma said, oh, I have this lender. You just got to meet him. And I said, Southern California. And I said, well, what's his name? And I said, oh yeah, I know Richard. So it speaks to your business, but also I think one cool thing and why I wanted to have you on the podcast, especially is you have lots of different lending options that a lot of people just don't have right now. So can we talk a little bit about buying in the name of an LLC like conventional versus unconventional, I guess, non-conventional and how that works with your loan products. Absolutely. And yeah, so one of the reasons my team and I, after 10 years left the banking world as it relates to mortgage is we had limitations on what we could offer. And we kept hearing of all these amazing non-traditional products out there that allow you to close in an LLC, that allow you Mm -hmm. to go over 10 finance properties. And as with you guys, we graduated a lot of our clients in the past five, six, seven years past those 10 loans. And we really wanted to make sure we had an outlet for them. So we do have all kinds of cool programs available. The big difference though, that you'll see between conventional and these non-QM loans that we can offer as it relates to an LLC is officially Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the conventional super low rate 30 year fix that we're all after won't allow you to close title in the name Mm -hmm. of an LLC. And for a lot of people, obviously that's very important for asset protection. That being said, what Fannie Mae does allow you to do is after the loan closes, you can transfer ownership into a single member LLC. And that actually changed about two and a half years ago. So Fannie Mae officially released a correspondence saying that, hey, Mm. we will allow transferring to an LLC for asset protection purposes if your service will allow it. So Um, I have a question about that really fast. So single member LLC, so say spouses buy in both of their names, can it be an LLC with both of them named as members? That's a great question. And yes, it could. Yeah, they would consider that because their husband and wife, a single member. We've, it is possible to get exceptions as well with two member LLCs. But once you go beyond that, it gets very, very difficult. And what a lot of people run into is even though Fannie Mae permits you to transfer title after the fact, a lot of times with 1031 exchanges that are selling properties that may Mm -hmm. already be in an LLC, they may have restrictions that won't satisfy the 1031 if they close in their personal name and then transfer afterwards. Got it. Now the difference, and hopefully I'm not confusing anyone because I know it's a lot of words. (laughs) The difference with these non-QM programs we offer is they do actually allow you to close title through the process in the name of the LLC. And that's huge from an asset protection side as well. Those loans, what's important to note, are made to our clients as individuals. So they allow you to close title in an LLC, but you still do personally guarantee that loan. Gotcha. What's the difference in the rate and term on those, just generally speaking? Great question. Typically, only about a percent. These non-QM loans used to be 7%. They used to be balloons. They used to be adjustables. And now they're in the mid fours with a couple points. Whereas the conventionals are in the high to mid three. So percent higher for a 30-year fixed is exceptional. Yeah. So can you clarify what non-QM means? Yeah. Not QM is a, firstly, it means qualified mortgage. It's a term that really came out with Dodd-Frank, that the whole Financial Reform Act. And they basically said that clients need to meet 
all of these parameters to be considered a qualified or QM mortgage, Mm -hmm. which will allow them to be purchased by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So it's really almost another word for Fannie or Freddie. Whereas non-QM are the loans that don't fit in that Fannie Freddie box, like the over 10 finance loans or the LLC loans or the low to no document loans, which I know we'll get into as well. Yeah. So interesting. So with that loan product, you said it's typically one point higher than your Fannie Freddie loans. Is it also like a 30-year amortization? Is it fixed? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So the beauty of them is they are 30-year fixed. In Mm -hmm. fact, for an additional quarter percent, you can actually get a 40-year loan that's interest only for the first 10 years. And the rate's fixed for the duration. After those first 10 years, it converts to a 30-year fixed, fully amortized loan. And what's beautiful about that loan is we all know property values have gone up. It's getting more and more competitive. Also buying in markets now, the median price is a little higher as well. And cash flow is getting a little more difficult. And as you guys know too, sometimes it takes years for rents to catch up to the actual property values and appreciation. Although we've seen that right now, right? Rents have gone up a lot in the last 12 (laughs) months. And so the beauty of this 10-year IO program is keeps your payments lower for the first 10 years as rents catch up, still is a fixed rate throughout the duration. And then after 10 years, uh, the payment goes up to match that 30-year fixed fully amortized. Huh. And that one's still only a point higher than your typical rate right now? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Extra is what I heard. To, to go from IO versus the non-IO. So these non-QM loans, about mid 4% range. Uh, and taking the IO proponent would add a quarter. So take you to the high 4% range. Hmm. Wow. So when you say a point higher, you're talking a point higher than like owner-occupied loans. No, a percent higher than investor loans. Believe okay. it or not, the Fannie Mae loans right now, 25% down investor purchases are around 35 to 3.6%. Yeah. I always speak uh, in 20% down. So that's probably why I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That margin is really small between mm-hmm. the Fannie Mae QM and these non-QM loans we're talking about, whereas wow. traditionally it's a very big gap between them. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then you mentioned the loans past 10. Are those the same terms as what you've been talking about? You can have the 30 or 40 year, about one point higher, same kind of thing. Absolutely. So this non-QM loan option allows you to do a couple things. It's and it's the same loan terms, allows you to go over 10 finance properties. It allows you to purchase in the name of an LLC. And on top of that, for the same rate and everything, it allows you to purchase with low to no income documentation. Mm. These loans are based on the property themselves. Mm. So you don't even fill out income in the application. It's based on your credit, your ability to put a down payment, and the rent that the property is going to generate. And I mean, what is the debt service coverage ratio need to be? So what's the rest of the story here, right? What properties qualify? And if you're doing a So two-part question, what's the DSCR? And then is the DSCR figured on the 10-year interest only if you're doing that? Or is it figured on the back-end 30-year? What's it figured on? That's a great question. So this program really has two proponents, and I'm sure the answer is going to excite and surprise you. (laughs) If you're putting 20% down, they want the total 100% of the gross rents and these gross rents are determined by the appraiser 
if the property is not rented out, they want 100% of the gross rents to cover the principal interest taxes and insurance uh, monthly payments. So basically, if your rent's 2000 your payment- Debt service coverage ratio. Correct. Get if you're putting- the hell out of town. Yeah, but here, here's, here's the part that you won't believe, Ron. If you're putting 25% down, there's no debt service coverage ratio at all. So you could be negative rent on that property. And if you're putting 25% down, it doesn't matter. Just to clarify for everybody listening, if you're putting 20% down and the property is negative, you should not buy that property. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. that's not how that we roll, said, but you are said, in SoCal. so That's a crazy property. That's crazy. Yeah. And in California, I mean, I guess that's fantastic, I guess. Yeah. If that's what you're after, folks, <clears throat> let me know. I can hook you up with some negative properties in California. <laughs> All day. We have a huge amount of those we turn down we, all the time. Listen, we have clients that are trying to 1031 out of California right now, happy to sell you their property at a negative cash flow. Yeah. Just hit us up. We can hook you up. I mean, I've got at least two or three that I'm thinking about right now. Probably six properties we could lay on some people like right now. So just, what is it, uh, Heather? It's info at uh, rpcinvest.com. Just hit invest, us up. Invest at rpc. Invest.com. It's invested RPC Invest. Just hit us up. We can get you negative cash flowing properties <laughs> for uh, your California purchases. So. Hey, and so one Richard thing on that you. though, there is actually a use of that program. So if someone is buying a short-term rental that mm -hmm. on paper looks like Doesn't it's cash work. flow negative because yep, they're looking at the long term, there's a, a mm -hmm. positive proponent. That said, good point. If you're buying a short-term rental and you're <laughs> buying it. Based on how I've told you to buy it, it should cash flow anyway. You shouldn't oh, have yeah. this problem. Okay. But yeah. if you're buying one that you're going to use and you're buying it in an area that doesn't, then this program, I mean, that's fantastic. So that's awesome. Loving that. So can you talk a little bit more about the no doc? So I was a little bit surprised when you told me you can do these loans. Given the current climate, I thought that wouldn't even be a thing. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised when I heard about them. So when we came over to Supreme Lending in January of this year, we focused our business as we've always done on the conventional Fannie Mae. And once that settled, I was like, hmm, let me start exploring these non-traditional loans, these non-QM loans I've heard about. And I was super skeptical too. And the first thing I thought was, okay, it's one of those things where you throw 20 to the wall and two stick, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why here we are eight months later now talking about this program is I wanted to vet it out. Mm -hmm. And the qualification criteria seemed pretty straightforward. You need to have decent credit score. You need to have obviously funds for the down payment. And, but it looked like so much of it was based on the property itself, which from my understanding, a lot of this funding's probably coming in from the private market, hedge funds and so forth for these non-traditional programs. And mm -hmm. they're putting so much emphasis on, hey, if you have 20 or 25% equity, that's really all we need. To me, I mean, a lot of these guys have a lot more data than obviously we have. And it shows to me that these guys are pretty confident in the housing market if yeah. that's their exit strategy, right? Is that, okay, it's good credit, but the property itself gives us enough comfort, you know, having that 20 or 25% mm -hmm. leverage and to write these loans. So initially I was just same as you. I was like, whoa, you know, what's going on? And then I thought about it more. I'm like, this is a sign of a robust housing market. Yeah. And the fact that 
to me, and this is just my opinion, is if it is hedge funds that are kind of backing these types of loans on the secondary market, and they know the the property's cash flow positive, as you guys know, a lot of these hedge funds are buying portfolios of rental properties right now mm-hmm. as well. So I think it gives them kind of two exit strategies, right? One is the, hey, the housing market is robust, but second is we know this property cash flows and works, and we know mm-hmm. that it could be a good investment in that regard as an asset they hold. So- That's what I'm thinking. Huh. That makes makes sense. sense. Can you, sorry, Ron, I have so many questions. You just like wave at me. Tell me to be quiet. Burn through. Let's go. (laughs) So when you do the one that requires no docs, right? Can you give me an example of like an email you send out that says, this is what I need. So I think what I hear is bank statements, right? Get approved that you have the funds, but what about how much reserves is required for the no doc loan? Generally, 12 months of reserves for okay. the payment. So basically- Just P-I-T-I. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And that's a good question because when I first heard about that program and the first application came back, I asked them too. I'm like, no doc, what do I do here? What do I ask for? And all it really is, is the client fills out an app. We pull their credit. And if their credit checks the box and we see if they have the down payment, it's obviously property contingent and putting mm-hmm. 20% down at that point. But that's it. So what, you need a copy of the, the lease? Oh, yeah. It's really, Sorry. what was that? What's the box? If it's 20% down, that it's one-to-one DSER. No, I mean the, the credit score box. So everybody- Oh, knows. 660 and up. And obviously okay. the rates I were quoting, were assuming like a 720, 740, but yeah, six six. Ron, you're killing me. I'm sorry. This, I mean, Does I'm it like, make you happy or scared, Ron? Oh, a little bit of both. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy for our clients because we produce excellent properties. But yeah, this is eerily familiar. I've already yeah. seen this movie. I knew that these programs would come out. I'm glad that they're at least requiring more money down. I mean, yeah. I think the difference between before and now is they had no doc loans with no money down, right? Yep, Which exactly. was completely ridiculous. I mean, it was- And for primary homes too, though. It's a little different as investors. You know, oh, one requirement I forgot to mention for this no doc program is you have to own a primary home already. Oh, okay. Gotcha, okay. Because they don't want people using it to buy a primary saying it's a rental oh. to qualify, whereas they may not otherwise qualify. So they don't just- completely look at your credit and be like, okay, this guy's good. They want to make sure that you are obviously using the property as a rental, that the rents are going to suffice, that the property is in good shape and you are putting a sizable amount down as well. Yeah. So yeah, a little different than where it was before, but it does kind of give me a little the same taste too. So yeah. So as far as qualifying the property, you need a copy of the lease. I imagine you pull the taxes and you throw an insurance number in there, or do you require an EOI? for evidence of insurance, sorry, for- We we do for closing, but not to give them that initial pre-approval. And at that point, the property a lot of times doesn't exist. So the pre-approval is merely a credit check. I mean, Mm. making sure the credits own their primary home and they turn those around to us the same day. We send them a file Mm. um, and they're like, yeah, this guy's approved, you know, based on credit and the fact we see he owns a primary home. And this is one to four family? Correct, just one to four. Okay. We flogged I, this one pretty good, Heather. You want to <laughs> ask a different one? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm pretty excited about that one. That's all, Ron. Jeesh. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, me too. So as far as these different loan options, is it when someone calls you, are you going through these with them and kind of explaining what one would be the best for them based on their situation? Or do most people just say, oh, I want interest only? 
40 year with a 30 year fixed? Yeah, great question. I mean, most people come in with an idea of what they think they want. It's my job Mm -hmm. to give them all the options still. And I dig pretty deep on that initial consultation call to determine the best product for your clients Mm -hmm. and our clients. And a lot of times, my first goal really is to see if people will qualify for the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loan, right? Because those rates are, I mean, they're lower than primary home rates were a year and a half ago. That's um, so true. So that's where I try to push people first, even if they're self-employed and complex, we have a pretty good track record for getting those done. So we'll go down that path. If we know right off the bat that, hey, there's absolutely no income, they're retired, they don't show a lot, they're asset heavy, for example, then through that consultation call, we may end up on this low to no doc program as being the best path forward. It's the easiest path forward, but I like doing what's just, we have a similar business philosophy is we want to guide people the right way and do what's yeah. right for them. And sometimes that's a little more work. So that's so okay. Do you have any non-recourse products for single family? No. Okay. Fortunately, we do not. Yeah. You're all not, of these. You're not quite to wizard status yet. No. Close. No. <laughs> I cool. mean, I guess that would be, that would be really scary, right? If you just set up an LLC and then the next month you can put 20% down with no track record and get well, a loan. You know, they had those for a couple of years for portfolios. They um, did. I got a couple of those for portfolios. And hmm. the difference was they really underwrote the properties. It mm-hmm. was not yeah. a, and they underwrote you as well. So even though it was non-recourse, they wanted to make sure you had the asset base to cover. And it was more like qualifying for a, for a typical apartment complex loan. But it was used for single family home purchases. It was a fantastic loan product, but I think we put 30% down on those as opposed to 20, but you know, having a non-recourse product was really, really cool. So absolutely. <laughs> that was fun <laughs> back when you could do it. So one so, of the questions I get asked a lot too, especially yes. in this market is regarding the best ways to cash out of properties, right? Whether the mm. QM makes sense or the non-QM makes sense. Plus of course, It's extremely competitive out there right now. So a lot of our mutual clients have the ability to buy in cash and want to recoup later as well. So I really quickly touching on that, a big fallacy out there is you need to wait six months after you bought the property to cash out. That is not the case. You can start a loan the next day to recoup your money from the property. Yeah. Fannie changed that probably two or three years ago. So basically the way it works is if you bought a property in cash, You can turn around within the first six months and refinance it. You can use market value, current appraised value, Mm -hmm. to determine your 75% cash out. However, the only thing to note is if you're doing it within six months, your total new loan amount can't exceed what you bought the property for. Oh, okay. Whereas after six months, you can take 75% regardless of what you bought the property for. And I mean, you'd have to get a crazy slam dunk for it to matter, right? In that mm-hmm. first situation, you know, bought a property for a hundred grand, praises at 130. Well, yeah. 75%, you can only take out that hundred anyway. So exactly. That would I mean, be crazy. It, it would work for anyone who's rehabbing properties. Right. If you're the person who's actually physically doing the work, you could easily make that happen. And six months later, you could easily yeah. have plenty of equity to pull money out plus some cash. Exactly. I think for anybody who's buying a property that has a day job, that's really not realistic. I agree with you. Those are incredible products. Yeah. Any other tricks up your sleeve that you'd like to tell us about? <laughs> um, I, anything. I would just say that the only other thing is obviously we're all seeing a lot of 1031s being very prevalent. As you mentioned, yep. half our clients are selling their California properties and buying 
and redeploying out of state. It's the ability to use rental income on these purchases. If you're doing a 1031 on your California property, you may be buying six, seven, eight properties concurrently in different markets. And it's important, firstly, to obviously have a lender that covers those various markets, kind of the one in the middle pulling all those strings. But also, it's important to be able to use rental income to qualify on these properties you're buying. And the reason why that's important is no matter how well qualified you are, and how much money you make. And if you're buying eight properties at once and hitting your debt to income ratio with eight mortgages, it makes it very, very hard to qualify. So what we have the ability to do is we can use projected rental income on the properties that you're buying, even if they're not rented out, which oh, wow. allows, instead of having all these eight mortgages hit your debt to income ratio, now they're all break even or cash flow positive. So they turn from a negative to a positive. We take a lot of declines from other lenders who are in a mm -hmm. 1031 and they're like, you don't qualify, we can't use rental income. So the good That's news is crazy. we can use rental income, we can use projected rental income, which makes it very easy to qualify for five, six, seven, eight, as many as you want concurrent transactions. Where do you get the projected rents from? Is that from the appraisal? Yeah, it's a great question. It absolutely is from the appraiser. The appraiser will go out, survey other comparable properties in the area and determine a realistic market rent. Most of the time, they're not far off from what we as investors think the rent should be. I'd say the variance is 5 to 8%, maybe 10%. So it's okay. pretty good. Okay. And they're allowing 75%. That rule didn't change. That is correct. Rent. Yep. That is on the Fannie Mae. Yes. On these non-QM loans, we use 100% of proposed rent. Of course you could. That's oh, <laughs> like, it's like a unicorn. <laughs> of course you can. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. I had another. Oh, what states can you do loans in? So that's a good question. So we're licensed between myself and my team. We're licensed pretty much across the country. We can't currently do Hawaii. And for these non-QM loans, there's a state list of the states they service. It's probably 90% of the states that we do business in. They don't do Delaware. They don't do a couple other states. Mm -hmm. I would need to, there's probably about 20 states on there, we, 15 states they don't. I, do I highly do. doubt we do business in any of those states. <laughs> yeah. anyway. exactly. or, or that yeah. we would encourage anyone to do so. Look, it's not hard to figure out why. They have the same criteria as we do. If it's exactly. not landlord friendly, they don't want to get stuck with a property where someone could live for free for over a year, short of the CDC constitutional mandates, just the normal state laws and municipality laws. So yeah, anyway. So last question, how can people get a hold of you? Absolutely. Either telephone or email. Email's typically the best way, just because as you guys do too, Throughout the day, every 30 minutes, I'm on a phone call 10 hours a day. So email is the best way. Typically, we'll set a phone consultation for the following day. I'm super prompt at setting those calls. And obviously, my email address is richard.advani. That's A-D-V-A-N-I at supremelending.com. And don't be afraid to call me and ask questions, right? A lot of times you may not be ready to do something now. You may have something coming up eight months from now. And it's very important to plan effectively in real estate. So Feel free to call and pick my brain, whether you're two months out or six months out or longer. And I'm happy to, of course, give you the advice without trying to pull your credit or get an app. I know a lot of people are just like, I don't want my credit pulled. And I'm like, I don't want to pull it. Don't worry. So yeah, but I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity to be here and share this with you guys. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate you. it. Those are incredible programs for, especially for people who have any of these non-conforming challenges. Yep. It's good news that 
some of these larger funds have woken up to the fact that there's a huge demand for that. Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. So grateful that you shared some time with us today. I know we'll have a lot of questions because I know I already can think of about 10 clients who've been wanting to get more information on loans past 10, either they're approaching it and they're scared. A lot of our clients are approaching 10 and going, what happens? <laughs> like, you've always told me I have 10 conventional mortgages, Heather, and what do I do next? So I love that we have this resource to draw upon and your knowledge. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really that, appreciate it. Yeah. The takeaway I heard is there's no excuses anymore for people who... <laughs> <laughs> who don't think they can qualify. So until next time, go out and make something happen, everyone. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.